Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Sarah Restall, Senior Wellbeing Consultant at Wellbeing at Cary and Director of the Inside Out Leaderboard. In Sarah's previous roles, she's worked as the Employer Engagement Manager at Mind and has also been an integral part of the Time to Change programme and also the Farmer Stevenson report that's been published by Deloitte. Today we're going to discuss all things senior leadership, how we can get senior leaders brought into wellbeing and promoting the right messages. Welcome Sarah. Hello Sarah, how are you? Hi Harry, I'm fantastic of course. What are you out of 10 today on the form score? Oh I love that question. Well, I think I started today as an eight. I'm recently recovered from COVID. So I've got that um, that euphoria you get when you suddenly feel better, even if it's after a cold and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm fine, I'm alive. So I had that euphoria this morning. I got up at six o'clock. I went to the gym. I was, I was ready. I was working by nine. And so I was feeling quite amped. And yeah, that, that was the first time I've gone, or the second time I've gone to the gym since the COVID since I was out of the isolation and um, it just makes a difference doesn't it knowing that you can exercise your body and helps for me it helps that I can do it in the morning Um, so that relies on me having a good night's sleep uh, really which is which is essential to my well-being Um, so I had a good night's sleep the whole way through I'm an eight out of ten I'm feeling like I'm I'm definitely I'm just almost a nine, partly because I get to talk to you because I love you and I adore your work um, and partly because I'm going for a swim later on this evening. Brilliant. So for anyone listening, it's the day that's really hot in the UK in September. Um, So we don't get many of those days. So I've mentioned to Sarah that, um, yeah, we'll be able to have 12 minutes strictly and then you'll be able to jump into the sea following that. So Following the introduction that we had, Sarah, and all of the work that you've done and excellent work that you've done, one of the main areas that you really work with is senior leaders and getting that senior leadership buy-in with workplace well-being, which we know is so important. And so what is the work that you're doing with senior leaders and and why is is it so important to engage senior leadership with well-being initiatives? Well, I, the, the work that I've done over the last six, seven years really informs this. And uh, when I was working at Mind and I was a, a program manager on the Time to Change program, supporting the employer's work. So, so with Time to Change, we were working with employers to really challenge the stigma. And, and we worked up an action plan that later informed Thriving at Work. I'm really proud of that big piece of work that, that we did. Um, and the action plan had seven things that, that we advised organizations to do to really embed cultural change. And we always said, look, this is a long project. This isn't a flash in the plan. This isn't like a, a one day, you know, wear a hilarious hat for mental health day. It, it's something that you need to embed and, and the action plan supported that. Now, what we found is that if organizations did six out of the seven things that we recommended, unless one of those things was the senior leadership buy-in, you didn't really get that embedded culture. And yet, if you had that senior leadership buy-in and just one other of the recommendations, you would actually get a, a palatable or a perceptible, sorry, a, a perceptible culture change. 
So really the work that I do now, so I work um, with the Inside Out Charter and when I work with an organisation that signs up to the Charter, we work to a set of principles again and these principles are for senior leaders to look yeah. at how they can themselves take action that makes an impact to inform the culture of the workplace and I return to that word constantly, that word of cultural change. That's what we're really looking at and that's what we want to see. And the work that I do with, with our charter members is looking at what is, the, what is the, the tangible action that a senior leader can do to support the strategy that potentially the head of HR is rolling out because it's the senior leaders that set that tone, that set that culture, and it does trickle down. I've got a lot to say. <laughs> no, there's so much to unpick within there. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating because a lot of initiatives try and start from the bottom up, but I completely agree that the top-down element is crucial. If you don't get your senior leadership team engaged and bought in and really using their, their um, influence, I guess, to, to communicate it effectively, it can all fall down. Now, there are some organisations that we've spoken to recently that have individuals that really want to get their organization behind well-being. But sometimes there are occasionally senior leaders that aren't quite ready for it and are slightly reluctant or maybe slightly don't, they don't want to engage with well-being at the moment. What would be your message to those individuals that want to try and get the people around them engaged with well-being and, and overcoming that resistance? Well, to get your senior leaders engaged, because once you have once you have your executive team on board it's really easy to get everybody else on board because they're dictating it as a part, like as, a, as an agenda on the board meeting minutes every single time. It's really easy to get everybody else inspired. So I think that my recommendation would be if you are a head of HR or if you are the head of wellbeing or if you are in charge of pushing the wellbeing program, you want to put together a business case. And that business case wants to, wants to prove two things, one of them being that it is the right thing to do. So one of them is an ethical evidence that it's the right thing to do for your people. And the other one is to prove a return on investment. And that's looking at things like looking at da uh, data or data, sorry, in the best way that you possibly can. So uh, a return on investment might be something along the lines of uh, decreasing the amount of time that somebody might take off if they are really suffering from mental ill health. So one of the things that you can do as a part of your business case is go to HR and go to those those data details and say how many people were absent due to ill health that was that was mental ill health and have a look at actually how much it's costing your organization and be aware that if your organization isn't really open about speaking or doesn't challenge the stigma attached to speaking openly about mental health that actually there'll be a bunch of data in there that are people taking time out with migraines, back problems, or mm -hmm. taking time out but not being open about the fact that it might be anxiety, stress, it might be the fact that they're still suffering from long-term impact of grief or really, really struggling because their child is struggling and all of these things that they're, they're taking time away from work for. So it's really good to have a look at how much time away from work is costing you. And then also, consider presenteeism. So yeah. presenteeism is when people turn up and, and it's rife. And uh, Rob and I talk about this all the time where since we've been remote working, you can turn up 
and you can click that little, you can move your mouse every now and then so it shows up as green on your screen that you're working. You can respond to any email that you get really quickly, but the rest of the time you might be deeply unwell or not actually able to work or perform to your best, best functions. So these are the kinds of things that you need to try and dig down and grab that data set for because that is going to show evidence that there is a monetary need. You can add that to your business case and you can show in your business case using examples from other organizations who have already instilled best practice in mental health. Use those statistics and those case studies to show how they have managed to change that and turn that around. So that's one way with that business case. But just to come back to because it's the right thing to do. A business leader uh, who is connected to this personally is more likely to really stand up and lead the way. And that's where you uh, that's where you kind of need to invite your senior leaders to share their experiences of either living with a mental health problem or supporting someone or or having the impact of someone in their family, someone they're close to having experienced mental ill health, poor health. One in four of us are diagnosed with a mental health problem. That means every single one of us will have experienced the impact of poor mental health in our lives. So, so appealing to the idea that they've been directly influenced by that and getting them to share their experiences will help to get them involved in that conversation, involved in the agenda and help them to move that forward. I think that's crucial that, again, it's, it's sharing those real life stories as well as getting the data behind it. And that's what I'll always say with, with our members and with our prospects is if we can couple up the real life stories that really gather people's emotional um, instincts within there, but also if we can underpin our strategies with data or even our, our um, business case with data, that's absolutely crucial as well. Now, one thing, whilst we've got a few minutes left, Sarah, and I've got a few minutes of your time before you go for your, your evening dip, um, I'd love to just talk about best practice. And what does best practice look like? It's a fascinating question to ask people because it does change from individual to individual. But what is a really robust well-being strategy for you? Oh, a robust well-being strategy would be one that takes into account that this is a three-year journey, like at minimum. So a strategy that looks at it as being phase one is a whole year. And phase one would be about uh, talking, having conversations, challenging stigma, opening up safe spaces. So psychologically safe, very much a buzzword at the moment, but it is so deeply important to take that into consideration first. So my best practice would be creating safe spaces to speak, speaking openly, sharing stories, challenging the stigma, getting a, a senior leader on board on the to really carry this forward on their agenda, having a, a standalone mental health or well-being practitioner or mental health person that is in charge of that. So, so frequently you see someone in HR and they won't even be the head of HR. Often it will be an HR officer or someone that works in HR who has a tack on to their role, which is also in charge of diversity and inclusion and in charge of well-being and mental health. And actually investing in offering this as a task for one person, that, that's a really great show of best practice. Then I would I would also say best practice would be to have um, to have a measurement in place. So to truly embed and implement the measurement side of things and that data collection, because you don't. I, I, I really it frustrates me when people are just guessing at a solution and people will be like, oh, what what do you think we should do? Uh, should we do 
training in this area or should we get in uh, someone to do some talks or some lunch and learns in this area? And I'm thinking, well, you're guessing at where the problem is. So first of all, look at diagnosing the problem. So what are the diagnostics? Ask your staff, what's the most important thing to you? You might find that the most important thing is that there's um, that people lack trust in being able to speak to their line managers. So therefore, you're able to focus your attention on line manager training and support. And then you can talk to all your line managers and say, what do you think is missing? So you're actually kind of completing that circle and not guessing at solutions. So that would be my ideal well-being best practice strategy is, first of all, expect it to take time. Start with, with opening up conversations and creating psychologically safe spaces and, and ask questions Ask people what they think is going on. Get get surveys in. Do the data collection that shows you what your staff are feeling and where they might need that help and support. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. As always, I wish this was longer, but I'm the only thing keeping you from the sea at the moment. So uh, please have a lovely evening and thank you for joining us today. Oh, Harry, you are just a joyous human being. I'm always happy to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really, I really value everything that you do. Thank you. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.